Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Anita J, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. And today is Wednesday, March 21st, 2018, and this is the 7 a.m. Eastern Standard Time meeting. Today we're reading from the big book, and we are on page 41 beginning with the second paragraph, which begins as soon as I regained, and we'll be reading through two paragraphs, ending with that I could do the job myself. And we'll be commenting on both paragraphs. Today's readers are for the 12 steps, Deborah L., the 12 traditions, Jen M. And readers of the text this morning are Rachel, NM, Hoodie R, and waiting in the wings is Deb W. The share ID numbers for yesterday, Tuesday, March 20th are for the 7 a.m. Eastern Standard Time meeting, 11187, 11,187. And for the 10 a.m. meeting, 11189, 11189. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At A Vision for You Big Book Study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. And I'll now ask Deborah L. to read OA's 12 steps for us. Deborah L., press star one. Anita, this is Melanie. I can do that. Um, well, Deb W., do you do you have them with you? Do you have the 12 steps, Deb W.? All right, never mind. Go ahead, Mel. Thank you. The 12 steps. We, number one, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. 
three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Pass. Thank you so much, Melanie. And I'll now ask Jen M. to read OA's 12 Traditions. Good morning. This is Jen M., compulsive overeater from Iowa. The 12 Traditions of OA. Our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends on OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Number three, The only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop drinking. Number four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to overeaters who still suffer. Number six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Number seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Number eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Number nine, Overeaters Anonymous as such are never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Number 10, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Number 11, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, and films. Number 12, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all our traditions, ever reminding us to replace principles with four personalities. And thank you for letting me start it. Thanks very much, Jen M. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. 
This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you're done sharing, let us know by saying pass, and then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone, except the speakers, should be muted. So today we're uh, resuming our study of the big book and we are on page 41, uh, the second paragraph, which begins, as soon as I regained, and we're gonna read through two paragraphs, ending with, that I could do the job myself. And they'll be commenting on all on both uh, paragraphs. So I will now ask Rachel N.M. to get us going. Good morning. Good morning. This is Rachel N.M. Thank you for your service. I am a recovered compulsive reader and anorexic. Very grateful for um, my recovery today. Very grateful for this book. As soon as I regained my ability to think, I went carefully over that evening in Washington. Not only had I been off guard, I had made no fight whatever against the first drink. This time, I had not thought of the consequences at all. I had commenced to drink as carelessly as though the cocktails were ginger ale. I now remembered what my alcoholic friends had told me, how they prophesied that if I had an alcoholic mind, the time and place would come, I would drink again. They said they had said that though I did raise a defense, it would one day give way before some trivial reason for having a drink. Well, just that did happen, and more, for what I had learned of alcoholism did not occur to me at all. I knew from that moment that I had an alcoholic mind. I saw that willpower and self-knowledge would not help in those strange mental blank spots. I had never been able to understand people who said that a problem had them hopelessly defeated. I knew then it was a crushing blow. Two of the members of Alcoholics Anonymous came to see me. They grinned, which I didn't like so much, and then asked me if I thought myself alcoholic and if I were really licked this time. I had to concede to both propositions. They piled on me heaps of evidence to the effect that an alcoholic mentally, such as an alcoholic mentality, such as I had exhibited in Washington, was a hopeless condition. They cited cases out of their own experience by the dozen. This process snuffed out the last flicker of conviction that I could do the job myself. Well, I'm Rachel, and we're in the chapter more about alcoholism. So we're learning what it is to be an addict um, to compulsive overeater, overeating or um, compulsive food behaviors such as a bulimia or anorexia. And we know now, we're far enough in the book, that we know about the, the physical allergy, but we're learning and more about alcoholism that the physical allergy is not the the worst part of our problem it's the mental twist or the mental blank spot because unlike all other areas of my life 
willpower and self-knowledge can't help me. Which is very interesting because self-knowledge is one of our our biggest goals as we begin recovery that we we can understand that we're powerless. But even that knowledge of powerlessness will not keep me from the mental blank spot until I have cleared away the debris that blocks me from my higher power. And that work is done in all the steps to nine. But when I get when I got to nine, something changed. And when I'm tempted with food, I recoil as from a hot flame. And at first it wasn't such a strong reaction, but it was a definite difference. And that's the hope that I can share um, today, is that when I realized that I was defeated, it was a crushing blow to me. But the reason these gentlemen could grin, and the reason I can grin today is because I know I have a solution. I have a, I have an answer. I have a, a different life today. I have recovery. And for that, I praise the Lord. I pass. Thanks very much, Rachel and M. All right. Who else would like to comment? Madam. Mary Beth. Mary Beth. Just a minute. Mary Beth. Tina Harlan G. Jan S. Nessa R. Harlan G. Jan S. Nessa R. Okay, very good. We'll stop right there. Okay, Matt, Mary Beth, Tina, Harlan, Jan, Nessa, and Nancy. All right, Matt, you are up. Good morning, everyone. This is Madam Compulsive Reader. <clears throat> Not only had I been off guard, I made no fight whatsoever against the first drink. This time I thought of no consequences at all. This reminds me a lot of myself at the relapse because it teaches me that I have to really be really aware of all my consequences at all times, all my uh, environment at all times, because I have to learn that, you know, when, when I think of that food, there is no consequence. I don't think of the consequences at all. I just think about that next bite. The mental twist is taken over, and then the physical allergy takes over after that first bite. So that after that, I'm, hard, I'm off to the races, you know. And I feel bad for Fred because I've been there. I know what it's like to be down and out. And um, I knew that moment that I had alcohol in mind. I have a compulsive overeater's mind. I'm always going to be a compulsive overeater. I saw that willpower and self-knowledge would not help in this strange mental blank spot. And I do have a mental blank spot. I have a huge blind spot when it comes to this disease. I'm very, I'm very intelligent in a lot of other areas of my life. When it comes to this disease, man, I am I'm down to the count. I have no control over whatsoever the amount of food I consume once I, once I start picking up. It's, it's true. I spend my, my, spend my rent money on it. I spend all my money, that my bills on food. It's crazy, the things I've done in the past, you know. And I'm lucky I'm not homeless today because of it either. You know, I'm, I'm very lucky. And uh, I have a lot I have a lot of work to do. I gained a bunch of weight in this past relapse, and I have a lot to take care of myself for. And I just want to take it one day at a time because this is all I have is today. I'm not, I'm not guaranteed tomorrow, and I can't base yesterday's recovery on today's recovery. And uh, that's all I have. Thank you. I'll pass. Thanks. Thanks, Matt. And Mary Beth. Followed by Tina R. Hi. Can you hear me? Yes, great. Okay, thank you. Um, 
the 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 mental blow that like part of the disease that is the to me I'm learning or seeing being able to see being able to feel and understand that it's it's so much more than the food that mental blow that real that real breaking through of that it's so much of the mind is is kind of scary so I'm clinging to the book and um, trying my best to follow what it says and not think about it too much. Just shut myself up and and listen to it. And it's not easy. But I'm grateful for the support of knowing that other people are doing it and they're not like spontaneously combusting because it just feels unnatural. On some levels, it's hard to understand, but I can't overthink. So I just really was struck by that and um, grateful that everyone is on the line and that I'm not alone. And um, they, they really feeling like I'm getting that God is my leader, that God is my, yes, I have a sponsor, but God is my director, sponsor. Like, people are human, and we're all sick, and um, he's got this, and it's okay. So I'm grateful, so grateful for everyone that is alcoholic, that wrote the book, because it's like that battle against the disease. And um, so, yeah, I'm grateful. So with that, I'll pass. Thank you. And Mary Beth, what was the initial of your last name? R. R. Thank you very much. All right, Tina R. And then Harlan G. Good morning, Tina. Thanks, Anita. Tina S., Recovered Compulsive Eater, Anorexic in Florida. I'm uh, grateful to be on the line. You know, um, I love this part of the book, you know, because it just, you know, brings home to me my powerlessness and my unmanageability. And I love that it talks about that, you know, uh, the first part of the first step is, you know, my powerlessness over, you know, that my body is different, you know, and that if that were just the case, all I would have to do would be put down the food. And so what I do know today that I am not only bodily different, but I am bodily and mentally different from my fellows. And this like I said, smashes home to me that I am powerless and that my life becomes unmanageable by me. You know, but the opportunity that I have today is to work steps two through twelve and have a spiritual awakening that has a, that gives me a transformation. You know, and you know, and, and Fred talks about that he didn't make a de, you know a defense. There was no defense, and it tells me further on in the big book that you know, there'll come a time when there won't be a mental defense, and that defense must come from a power greater than myself. On my own, I'm in the food. On my own, I'm crazy. And it's it just is clear over and over again from Jim, Fred, and everybody in the book. You know, I relate to them all, and I'm grateful because if I can relate, then I'm probably an alcoholic of that type, and I am. So I have a shot today, you know, to, to live free one day at a time without the food. And for me, you know, the only way that I do that is to, to practice these principles, which are the steps in all my affairs, and I have many. And so with that, I'll pass. Thanks. 
Thanks so much, Tina. Harlan G. followed by Janet. Good morning, Harlan. Good morning, Anita. Thank you for your service, and thank you to Team Wednesday for making this wonderful meeting possible. I'm Harlan G. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Scottsdale, Arizona. You know, I pride myself on punctuality. I try never to be late. I try to be on time, be respectful. But there was times in my life when I was late for an appointment. And the funny thing is, I didn't drive my car 150 miles down the highway to get to where I needed to be because I feared the consequences of doing so. Where speed and hitting another family, killing someone, killing myself, wrecking my car, retribution from the police kept me in check. What is the mental blank spot? The mental blank spot works in, uh, in, with the mental twist to drive me into the food. The mental twist is in search of the effect. The mental blank spot conspires with the mental twist to blank from my mind any memory of consequences to eating Oreo cookies. I cannot see the consequences. I do not see what the Oreo cookies are going to do to me. I only see what they're going to do for me. I have to go to the cardiologist this morning. There are consequences like AFib and calcium on my aorta and, and other things. There are consequences to the eating that I did. I didn't see them 30 years ago. I only saw what that food was going to do for me. And what these paragraphs are doing is they're reiterating a piece of information that is so vital that I will throw it out the window because of the mental blank spot. The information here comes from the common sense of drinking by Peabody. And what is the information? I am a compulsive overeater. No matter what happens to me today, no matter what doesn't happen to me today, I am a compulsive overeater. That the condition is permanent, progressive, and fatal. It is permanent, progressive, and fatal unless acted upon by a spiritual awakening as the result of the steps I have zero possibility of not eating compulsively on any given day. The only thing I must do today is work the steps. And if I do that, then this hopeless condition is relieved for today. And with that, I will pass. Thanks so much, Harlan G. All right, Jan S., you're up, followed by Nessa R., Good morning, this is Janice. May I be heard? Yes, thank you. Thank you for your service, Anita. Um, I think Fred, you know, out of everybody in the book, Fred really sums it up for me. Not that I don't relate to everybody else in this chapter because I am all of those people. Um, but with Fred, he 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 drank without any thought, none. That's what he said. No thought, none of it. It was just like he, there was no 
there is no power in his mind that could recall with enough, you know, memory the last time he picked up the drink and what it did to him. And I am the same. My disease is at the is at, is at that place has always been at that place, but even more so now that you know I'm in recovery. Um, I, you know, the farther away it it becomes, I still have to remember that. I have to remember that there is no other way out for me. The mental twist will tell me every time, it's okay, you can have a little bit, you can have this, tomorrow's going to be an absent day again, you'll get it back, you'll get it back. 36 years coming up, I still could tell myself that. So for today, I know that without the knowledge of my condition, which I have to have, the fact that it is never going to be curable, without that knowledge and without the understanding that I have no recall, I have no mental, nothing in there that's going to stop this disease. That's the huge part. It is chronic, it is fatal, and it kills people every day, every day, in every way. But that's never what's written on the death certificate. This person died of compulsive overeating. They die of diabetes, they die of heart failure, they die of a lot of other things. They don't die on the death certificate stating that. For today, I know that there's no turning back. I am beyond human aid. Only a power greater than myself and the spiritual recovery is outlined in these book, these pages is going to help me through any of it. That's the only thing that will help me. So um, I'm just grateful that we're all together working this program together on this line every day because it's a blessing in my life. Thank you, and I pass. Thanks so much, Nessa. I mean, uh, Jan S. Nessa, you are next, and then Nancy P. Morning, Nessa. Thank you. Good morning, Vision for You. This is Nessa R., a recovered compulsive overeater in Toronto, Canada. Um, I love the story of Fred. Um, as was shared many times yesterday, um, the story of Fred shows us that, you know, we don't um, compulsively overeat because of the circumstances. And just like the circumstances um, are not what drives me to eat, what drives me to eat is the fact that I am a compulsive overeater. So the circumstances are not what drives my recovery. You know, how many times did I say, um, you know, when, when the stress disappears, then I'll go on a diet. When, you know, um, I finish this project, when my children behave, when I have a lot of money, um, all those things are completely, totally irrelevant because my recovery only depends on one thing um, and one thing only, and that is um, attaining and maintaining a close relationship with God. You know, and, and how do I do that? How do I do that? Um, very simply, I have to remove everything that blocks me from Him. First and foremost is the food, so I start with entire abstinence by clearly identifying, honestly identifying all those food that cause me trouble, no matter how, how hard I think it's going to be to, to give them up and then giving them up, and then working the steps um, in order to remove the second blockage, which is me, myself, and I, my worldly clamors, you know, what I think, what I, think I know, uh, my self-will and all that. Um, you know, there's, there's two passages 
in um, um, on the, in the big book that I love that really summed this up better than I could ever say it. Um, on page 98 in the chapter Working with Others, it says, um, some of us have taken very hard knocks to learn this truth. Job or no job, wife or no wife. We simply do not stop drinking so long as we place dependence upon other people ahead of dependence upon God. They, uh, and just right after that, burn the idea into the consciousness of every man that he can get well regardless of anyone. The only condition is that he trusts in God and clean house. You know, I, I thought that, you know, the reason I, 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 I overrate were the reasons that I, I had to fix in order for me to, to be well, you know. So, so the money thing, the relationships, you know, the, the house, when I have a big house, when I have a nice kitchen, you know, all those things, you know. Um, and now I know that it doesn't really matter. It does, those things don't really matter. They are merely circumstances, you know. My circumstances have not changed uh, very much at all in the past six years that I've been recovered. But I have changed. I have changed, and therefore my life has changed uh, in so much for the better because I'm happy and contented now, even with the same circumstances that I thought were causing my misery. And that is the result of recovery, putting the steps down, putting the foot down, working the steps, and um, have a close relationship with the real solution, which for me is God and without a pass. Thanks very much, very much, Nessa R. And Nancy P., you are up. Hi, can I be heard? Yes, thank you. So, um, for me, this strange mental blank spot has been the the real stumbling block. And I have to say that I've read that a million times, and I always get stuck on uh, they grinned and I didn't like that so much. And for me, I have a lot of um, history in a way, and I have a lot of... Um, um, I had had opportunities in OA for a long time, and that that I didn't like that so much. That phrase summarized my attitude of how dare you tell me that I'm one of you, you know, one of you fat people that can't stop eating. And I was so arrogant and so angry, and I still have to fight that, I have to say, unfortunately. Um, but I've come around, and, you know, in the past, it was almost like my eating, if I had any abstinence at all, which maybe I'd have a couple of months at the outside, maybe three months. Once I had six months, once I moved out of my house and my mother stopped weighing and measuring my food and packing my lunch, then it was a struggle. And, um, and you know, it was like a parallel universe. I, you know, as though I had anything, I didn't have anything to offer, but I still said that I could sponsor people. And, you know, I remember one woman called me up and said she, I don't know, she was going to do something and I, I gave her the party line on what I thought she should do, which was basically not eat, and, you know, blah, blah, blah. She said something, and I said, hey, I said, my food is in a good place. My ass is fine. I swear to you, I hung up the phone and went over to the refrigerator and started binging my brains out. And, you know, that was what my life was like. I had It was my, my attachment to what was real and what was true was completely in fantasy. And my attitude about, you know, the strange mental blank spot was basically like staring at my cat. Blink, blink, nothing. Nothing there, no one home. And not to denigrate cats. But, you know, that's what it was like for me. And finally, 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 you know, I got beaten by a family catastrophe. And I was about a day or two away from, you know, going to BJ's and buying, you know, family, huge family packs of, you know, salty, sugary, floury, whatever, things and bring them to work so that I would have even eaten in public. To me, I'd rather have sex in public. 
public and to eat in public. And I was really that close to it when I was told about um, vision, and I immediately felt better. But I had felt better before, and so I knew that I had to act. And so I got a sponsor, and I started working these steps. And I have, you know, I still have to work at this. Every day I have to remember that I can't afford to be arrogant and angry. I can't afford to be, you know, um, detached from reality. So I have to remember that I absolutely, absolutely am going to eat, maybe not today, but likely tomorrow or the next day if I don't work these steps every single day. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm, it's the, the blank spot to me is like something on Star Trek that they don't understand, you know, oh, my God, it's a big... I don't even mm-hmm. understand it. I don't care. All I know is, you know, I'm bailing water out as fast as I can to keep to keep away from it, and um, that that requires bailing water means just working every single day. And in most of my downtime, most of my downtime is spent making phone calls now, reading, trying mm-hmm. to meditate, trying to get into that. So um, thank you all for your service, and with that, I'll pass. Thanks very much, Nancy P. Uh, just to for people who got on late, we're on page forty-one, starting with the second paragraph, and we read through two paragraphs that ended with that I could do the job myself. So who else would like to share? Leslie W. Sarah Leslie S. W. Sarah M. No, Sarah S. S. Yes. Cynthia C. Cynthia C. Monica T. Monica T. Nancy H. Nancy H. All right. We'll 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 probably have time for a couple more after. Leslie W. first, and then Sarah S. Go ahead, Leslie. Good morning. Good morning, Anita. Thank you so much for your service. This is Leslie W. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Tennessee. I actually think uh, what I think is amazing about this story is the fact that Fred um, came around so quickly. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but uh, it took me a few years. It wasn't just <laughs> it wasn't just a um, uh, a trip to Washington that 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 did me in. Um, it you know it was it was several years my 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 the manifestation of my disease came on quickly and rapidly and it it, it just it's it's like it just was like a freight train that just hit me out of nowhere i never saw it coming but i i uh i mean it took me years in the rooms of overeaters anonymous before i could finally concede that i had the mind um of an alcoholic or a compulsive overeater and that my mind just didn't work, uh, uh, didn't think normally about food the way that other people, other normal eaters behaved and thought about food. Um, mine, mine was just wired differently. And, and for whatever reason, you know, it, it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't really matter. Um, I have, to treat the condition and the condition it 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 rests within my mind um and so you know i never understood people who said that 
that a problem had had them hopelessly defeated. I knew then, and it was a crushing blow. Yeah, this disease was a crushing blow for me. Um, I felt like I could do anything if I could, if I just set my mind to it and worked hard enough and, you know, I could accomplish what I set out to do. Um, but, you know, I, I was, I was an egomaniac with an inferiority complex, really and truly. And it, this disease brought me to my knees. It truly did. But you know what? And I used to hear people say in the rooms, I'm a grateful whatever. And I thought, grateful? Why are you grateful for this disease? What is there to be grateful for? But now, having gone through this process and, and having had a spiritual awakening, and as I continue to move deeper in my, in my recovery, and God shows me new levels of freedom from the bondage of food, I am grateful. I'm a better person than I was before. Um, and, you know, I am grateful that that I have finally conceded this condition and accepted the treatment. And I continue to accept and, and work this treatment every mm-hmm. single day. Grateful for all of you today. I pass. Thanks so much, Leslie W. Sarah S. followed by Cynthia C. Good morning. Oh, hi. I'm Sarah S., a compulsive overeater. Um, I have a sponsor. I've been doing everything she's saying. I've been listening for a very long time to uh, Vision. I woke up last night in the middle of the night. I went to the cabinets. I'm staring at them. I had that mental twist. I was so scared. I prayed, and uh, I walked away, and I'm thinking, oh, my God, I'm doing so good, and here it comes. Here it comes. Here it comes again, and I... Don't understand a lot of this, but I'm just going to hang on and keep sharing and uh, make phone calls. Like I said, I do not understand the compulsion all out of once coming out and looking in the cabinets for food. And I can't figure it out anymore. And I'm just frightened. So that's all I have to say. Thank you. Okay, Sarah, keep keep coming. All right, since Cynthia C., followed by um, Monica T. Good morning. Did you call Cynthia C.? Sorry, I was unmuting. Yes, yes. Okay, thank you so much. Um, Thank you for your service. I'm so grateful to be on the phone this morning and to have another morning and another chance to connect in with my higher power because I lived in that mental blank spot, you know, the phrase, I'm not sure which paragraphs you were on, but, you know, not only had I been off guard, I made no fight whatever against the first drink. This time I had not thought of the consequences at all. I mean, I really believe like that was how I functioned. I had had three and a half years of recovery, got married almost the day after my wedding, went right back into the food and gained 60 pounds, like in that, you know, that first year, probably those first few months. But, you know, and then I, and then for like 14 years, I did Weight Watchers and, you know, I would go to the Weight Watchers meeting and, and I knew it wasn't, deep down, I knew it wasn't going to work for me because, because I had that missing link, you know, that was, I kept that, that food amnesia, as they describe here with the drink, that I would go to my meeting, I would be all hyped up about it, and then a day or so later I would, or, or that day, 
You know, I would have this thought, oh, that looks good to eat. And I would eat it. And I just couldn't, and I couldn't get it. And I just kept beating up on myself and beating up on myself. And I kept talking in meetings there about, you know, I have this food amnesia. Does anybody else deal with it? Or I thought it was always emotional eating. I'm eating because I'm sad. I'm eating because this is stressful. I'm eating because my kids or my husband or whatever. But it wasn't. I would eat at good times too. And I just, you know, and the the link for me, and I realize this now that I'm back in program for almost a year now. Um, you know, the link is the spiritual part of it, is that I cannot do any of this on my own. I have no willpower. I have nothing to prevent me on my own. I have nothing that will let will prevent me from picking up the first bite. I, I don't. I have no defense against that. And the only defense I have about that now is something greater than myself. It's my higher, it's my connection that I have to do daily. I have to connect in daily with my higher power through prayer and meditation. Um, and I need to connect in with something greater, which is the fellowship. I need to go to meetings. I need to, I need to use the tools and connect in with other fellows and program I need to sponsor. I need to talk to my sponsor every day. Um, I cannot do this alone because I have food amnesia. And I also just need to say that this is a very, very hard week for me. It's the fifth anniversary of my brother's suicide. And it is just an incredibly, incredibly painful week. And that's just what it is. And I feel really grateful today that you know, nothing, no food I eat is going to change the fact that that he had um, a mental health issue and he took his life and and my binging isn't going to make that better or worse. It's just going to make me miserable. And today I can sit with the pain mm. and and I can be grateful that I have a connection with a higher power and people here. So I don't need to use food. Thank you so much. With that, I'll pass. Thanks so much, Cynthia. And Monica T., followed by Nancy H. Good morning. Good morning, Anita. Good morning, everyone. <laughs> My name is Monica T., and I am a recovered compulsive overeater in Florida. So here we are in a chapter more about alcoholism, and this whole chapter is trying to teach me about my sick mind my insanity, my inability to think straight. That's the definition of insanity from the big book for my what my problem is. I have an inability to think straight when it comes to food. I can think straight in every other area of my life, but in this area, I have an alcoholic mind. I cannot think straight. And he says, if I had an alcoholic mind, the time and place would come, I would drink again. And why? Why? Years and years and years. You know, I ate when I was happy, mad, glad, sad. I didn't want to eat, but yet I continued to do it. I said I'm going to be good today, and I wasn't good today. I said I, was going to, I wasn't going to binge today, and I continued to binge today. What is wrong with my mind? What is wrong with me? Well, I have a disease. And this mind part of this disease is, is so, so powerful. And it tells me two things. It tells me a lie that I believe every single time, and I have no memory of the consequences or the resolutions that I have made. So 
you know, for for Fred, you know, everything is beautiful, honky-dory, you know, not a cloud in the sky, he's happy, he's pleased, and he walks across the threshold, and his little thought comes in, well, it'd be kind of nice to have a drink or two, nothing more. See, here's the way my brain thinks. It gives me this little thought, and I think it's the best idea I've had in a long time, because this thought is so, so powerful. It's the only thought occupying my brain, and I don't know that. And if another thought does try to come in, a vague sense of something, it will overrule it, override it. No doubt, very quickly, instantly, the insane thought is going to win every time. So, I have an alcoholic mind. I am 100% powerless against this. Because my mind's telling me I'm okay. I don't have a problem. Wow. Just the insanity of this disease. And the only thing that works, their solution, which they're going to tell us in a little bit, is a spiritual solution. One day I was reading this and I thought, I haven't, oh my God, I have this alcoholic mind that they're talking about. Wow. And I'm now a pickle. And I'll never be a cucumber. But you know what? It's okay to be a pickle. I have a solution, and that's the steps in God. Thank you. I pass. Thanks so much, Monica T. And Nancy H., good morning. Hi, this is Nancy H., um, recovering compulsive overeater in New Jersey. Um, I really liked what everyone shared this morning. Uh, I've been working the step four with my sponsor and reading every morning, uh, for the third time, I think, this year, <laughs> um, meaning that um, I would get through the steps and then I would forget and pick up. So this means a lot to me today. Um, I just totally, totally get that it's an, it's an insanity, that the thought comes in that, oh, it's okay, you know, as has been shared and as, as in the book, I can have a bite, I can have a taste. So what I started doing, sometimes while we're talking and reading, I just take a notebook and I write down things to help me stay focused. So I wrote, Dear God, uh, keep me from that first compulsive bite. Um, God, help me continue to work the steps. And when the desire to eat sugar hits, hits me, please, God, let me call or help others. And when that strange mental blank spot comes, help me to remember that, that then you help me to remember that I need to pray and ask God for help. And, um, you know, I have to, I just have, it's a, just a constant, like every day, that's why the meetings here every day, I have to remember that this obsession, you know, can take over. I haven't had the obsession um, for several weeks now, and I'm very grateful for that. Um, it seems to be lifted while I'm, while I'm working uh, so hard on the, on the steps and, and listening to the meeting. Last thing I want to share is the whole thing about being good. I think that really trips me up too because, you know, in the past if I was following my diet, you know, I was good, right? And when I went off it, I was bad. Well, some part of me, I think, some secret part of me wants to be bad, you know, because (laughs) I want to rebel. So I have to get away from the concept of good and bad and following the food plan means I'm good and breaking from the food plan means I'm bad. You know, it's it's not a healthy thought process for me. I need to just 
understand that staying away from sugar and compulsive eating means that I'm abstinent, means that I'm following my higher power's will for me. And uh, with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you so much, Nancy H. All right, we have time for some more. Katie G. from Boston. Katie G. Preet Kiran B. from Boulder. Hi, this is Nicole. Oh, oh. okay, wait, 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 I got this. I'll see if I can get all of you. Um, who is that B after? Um, Preet Kiran. Pre Karen B from Boulder. Pre Karen. Okay. Rick J. Right. Okay, we'll see if we can get the four of you in. All right, Katie G. And then Re Karen B. Nicole and Rick J. Hopefully, go ahead. Go ahead. Good morning, Katie. Good morning, Anita. Good morning, everyone. KG recovered compulsive overeater, anorexic, and bulimic. Yay, the process snuffed out the last flicker of conviction that I could do my job, the job myself. Praise God. You know, for me, the worst problem I have ever had um, is thinking I need to manage, right? And um, the best part of, I know we're not there, but the best part of step three is that I'm making the decision to follow through with steps four through nine and get out of the management role, right? Like KDG, I can't do the job myself. And what I think is so amazing is I, you know, I spent my whole life using willpower, using um, me, using my, my, my amazing intellect, my self-knowledge to fix me. And it got me in toilet stalls. It got me in, um, you know, on my hands and knees, throwing up in downtown um, areas, uh, having taken Ipecac as my only solution to get rid of the food. Um, it got me up to 228 pounds, down to 110 pounds. Um, but that's not even the worst of it. You know, the worst of it is the mental anguish, the social isolation, the um, the devastation of, of my family watching their daughter, you know, starve herself down and then, you know, a year, not even a year later going up to 228 pounds and, you know, people call me and, you know, and me too, like I wanted to understand I wanted to know how how do the 12 steps work and you know how how is this sponsorship thing going to work and and how is this process going to work and and what can I do and you know like the best thing I can do is remember there is no chapter in the big book called into understanding right there's no chapter in the big book called into intellectualizing they're telling me that the best thing that can happen to me is a crushing blow of my ego a removal of my ego um, complete defeat, um, this, this, you know, snuffing out, this last flicker. That's the last flicker, like a candle. It's gone. It's dark. There is no hope. And on that basis, because with that, when I am in that position, thank you, God, what I say is help me, tell me what to do, and I don't need to understand it. All I know each and every day is that when I run things, it doesn't work. So I'm going to keep showing up and keep doing what this book suggests, what people in this room, in these rooms suggest, because my way has never worked. And that is the, the one thing that has helped me 
come out of relapse and stay in this program a day at a time. How blessed are we that we can be recovered today, um, you know, one day at a time and work towards that. So keep showing up shoulder to shoulder. With that, I pass. Thanks very much, Katie G. Pre-Karen B, followed by Nicole. Go ahead, Pre-Karen. Thank you. Can you hear me? Yes. Yes. Okay. I'm Pre-Karen B, a food addict in Boulder, Colorado. Um, thank you for having this meeting and the service of all those participating and listening. And um, when I listen to this paragraph, I think about my vision because I'm a low vision person with retinitis pigmentosa and I have a lot of vision for a person with that condition and I have an atypical kind which means I have my peripheral vision I I don't have my central vision so I read by listening and um, luckily I live in a time when there's technology but people ask me all the time and they have in the progression of this condition not um well what do you see and what do you what don't you see i can't tell what you see or not people couldn't tell i was low vision or legally blind um so much that they didn't even believe i had an eye condition and the interesting thing is i've gotten to know about it is that i can't tell what i don't see either because the brain fills in what i don't see until it got progressed enough that i really couldn't read the word on the page so I can see the word, I can't see it well enough to read it. Um, my brain was filling in words and I was wondering why I wasn't comprehending the words. And the eye doctor said, well, those words that you're seeing really aren't there. Your brain's filling them in. And so I feel like my food addiction is the same way, is that I, I, can't, I can't see what, I, I mean, what I don't, what my brain doesn't, you know, know, I don't know. <laughs> I can't see, I can't understand, I can't see what I don't see and I can't understand what I, you know, where my mental block is about this and the uh, uh, problem I have at this point in time is just a, a willingness to do the food plan. It isn't a willingness to um, leave out the ingredients because I've been leaving them out for several years now or two and a half years, but, um, and and I do, I listened to that uh, talk on entire abstinence and that helped me get more clear on the ingredients. But it's just developing the willingness again to call in the food plan and, and just eat, you know, those meals. And that's, and that's what I'm struggling with and, and wanting, willing to be willing to be willing. And this call is what I think is really going to help me because I sat in the rooms for AA for years to understand the alcoholism that I had, which was primarily around food. It could transfer to alcohol, but it was first and foremost, you know, those food ingredients. And um, so I'm so grateful that there are people like myself who are, uh, yeah, <laughs> that's it. Thank you so much. Thanks so very much also, Pre-Karen. You know what, folks, uh, Nicole and Rick, I hope you can stay on for the second hour because we've reached the end of this first hour. Um, and I want to thank everybody who, phoned, who um, has shared this morning. Um, and we will close with, as we always do, with a reading from um, 
the big book on page 164. And um, Hoodie, would you please read it for us? Certainly. Thank you so much, Anita J. for your service. My name is Hoodie R., and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own health is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you. Until then. Pass. Thanks so much, 